in, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. So I entitled the message, More Precious Than Gold, because a lot of times we really don't give much time or attention towards the inward us, because there is an inward us. We're not just body, but we're soul. And those who have been born again are born again of the Spirit. We really don't put or give much attention and time and resources to the inward than we do the outward. According to Money Magazine, the average woman will spend $15,000 during her lifetime on beauty products. It says that $3,000 of that money is, is dedicated to mascara alone. That's a lot of money. They say $80 a month on hair products and hair care, plus the occasional mani and pedi. That's a lot, of, a lot of money. The cosmetic industry is expected to reach about $805.6 billion a year. That's how much we spend on the outward us. How about clothing? They say the average person spends about $160 a month on apparel. And women spend 60, 76% more than men on clothing a year. And the time, just think about the time going shopping. It, you know, it takes so much time. Sometimes, we, you know, I go shopping very rarely, but I get tired and I'm just sitting there like, I got to find some place to sit, you know, because it takes time. It takes money. How about the fitness industry? The fitness industry last year made... Uh, $87.5 billion on fitness, on the outward us. And the sports industry rakes in $539.7 billion a year. You see, these statistics are not a put down. I'm not saying to change your routine. But I'm just showing there, there's a contrast between our time and resources in which we spend on our physical bodies in comp compared to the spiritual dimension within us. There's a, a significant difference between the physical and God, to God, what takes place in you is very important. The inward you is more important in the outward. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through, C, through, through 3, God speaks to his children as his people as, as their, his children. Listen to what it says. My sons, keep my word and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. My law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So what takes place in the heart is very important as God here instructs his children to, number one, keep his word. Keep his word. And that, that word keep uh, speaks of take notice. Take notice of it and apply it to your life. 
That's what God is saying. And it says, keep my commands and live. And the word here, live, means to quicken or to speed up. I think of it like, you know, we have a, a, a nice car and the, uh, the manufacturer says, you need to put this gas in it and you need to use this oil. Why? Because it runs better that way. And the human, when we work on the inward us and we're running to where God expects us and how God expects us to run internally, we run better. We run better in life, in all areas of life. But thirdly here, it says, keep my law, God's word. We need to keep God's word and it says, as an apple of our eye. And they say, the eyes are the window to your soul. What do you have your eyes on this morning? Is it merely on the outward? Or do I really set my eyes on the word of God? And do I value it? Do I value it as something precious as the apple of my eye? Is it important to my soul? So God's word says, keep it as an apple of your eye. Value it as something precious. And then he says, bind them on your fingers. The word of God should be like binding on our fingers. Let it become entwined and the very part of you. And lastly here, he says, write them on the tablet of your heart. The word of God should be engraved and be permanently attached to our heart. So God's word says to keep them, to value them, to bind them, and to engrave them so that they could be the very part of who you are inwardly and outwardly affected. Now in Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 13, we see the reason why God's word should be very important to us. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, Converting the soul. The law of the Lord. God's word is perfect, unimpaired, unaffected by man. It's an amazing book. You see, it's the only religious book that has prophecy. No other religious book can compare to the Bible. It's amazing. It gives details, and the details and the prophecy give validity and credibility to the things it says. It's like me telling you uh, today, everything that's going to happen today, everything's going to happen today, and then you come back tomorrow and you, you say, wow, that was pretty amazing. How did you know? And then I tell you again, over 300 times, I tell you what's going to happen and it comes to pass. Well, the Bible is very detailed in the person of Christ and his first coming alone. The Bible gives validity to the things that he was going to do, the things that he said, how he was going to die, he was going to, how he was going to be raised from the dead, where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born of a virgin. It gives validity because these things actually took place. So the Bible gives validity to the things it says. It gives credibility. And it's consistent. It's consistent. The Bible is consistent. It's not like the politicians running for office who will tell you one thing that you want to hear 
and do something else on their agenda. You see, the Bible just tells us that we're sinners. We're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment, and we all need a Savior. It's consistent in what it speaks. It's true. It's consistent in its promises. It promises to convert the soul and change lives powerfully. And we, we see that in the Apostle Paul. He once tried to ruin the church. He murdered Christians. He stood by and watched them stoned. And then he has this life-changing experience. He gets to know the Lord and becomes a Christianity's greatest advocate. Powerfully changing. The Bible is consistent in His promise. If we give our time and our attention to Him, He will do a work in our hearts. But not to mention only this and us personally, God wants to do a supernatural work through His Word to His people inwardly, but the influence that the Word of God has on our culture, art, music, is amazing. But here it says converting the soul. The Word of God will convert the soul. And that meaning to return back. To return, to turn back or to restore, to refresh and to repair. Why? Because there's something wrong. The Bible is consistent in its teaching about the Trinity. Although the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It teaches that the Father is God. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God, and the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, according to our likeness. You see, man is a lesser trinity in his perfect state. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, God saw everything after he created everything. It says that he indeed saw everything that he made and it was very good. In the morning and the evening were the sixth day. And that word very good after creation, when God created Adam and Eve, he said it is very good, morally perfect. Morally perfect. He, he created them in the perfect environment, perfect parent, perfect people. That's why when we look in the mirror, there's an oughtness. We look in the mirror, and that's why the cosmetic industry is so well. We, we see there's an oughtness. We, we don't look perfect. That's why we try to make ourselves... There's an oughtness. We all look back to Eve, ladies, the perfect woman. We live in a fallen world. Guys, we look back to Adam, the perfect body, perfect biceps triceps, pecs, you know. Um, he was a perfect man. God created him perfect. So there's an oughtness that there was a perfection. So when we look in the mirror, we look at this oughtness and we say, oh, you know, I, I need a little work here or there. And that's just part of the fall. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 through 17, the Lord God uh, said it commanded of every tree. He's talking to Adam. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat.
For in the day you eat it, you will surely die. God promised. And we know from Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve was deceived, but Adam was a willing participant. Adam willingly partook. But notice in the Scriptures, God said what would happen in the day if they would eat it. He said they will surely die. Although we don't see them dropping dead. This is what the Bible calls the fall. But to get a glimpse of what happened, everybody who was created after Adam, after he fell, has, has born, is, is spiritually dead. He said, in the day you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Man was created originally a lesser trinity, and when he sinned, he died spiritually. He's dead. To see a little more glimpse in this, we, we look to the words of Jesus for clarity. Remember Jesus speaking to the religious rulers of his day, the leaders of his day? These guys were very pious. They were very religious outwardly. They were following the law to the T. They were... They were very righteous. Or should I say self-righteous? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Basically, he was saying, You might appear beautifully outward, you look beautiful outward. But inwardly, there's a problem. There's a problem. See, doing religious activity cannot change you inwardly. And a lot of these people that Jesus met were very religious, very active. But inwardly, there's a problem. Because a lot of times our focus be on the outward, but not what's taking place inward, and that really matters to God. He says, converts the soul. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? So what takes place inwardly is very important. You could gain the whole world or you could do, spend all this time and the resources on the outward you, but something's wrong inwardly and you're exchanging that for your soul. Your soul and where you spend eternity is very valuable. So what I'm pursuing can be more valuable than where I spend eternity. I could have an emphasis on the outward me and lack the inward work of God and lose my soul and be in eternity. So what's happening inwardly in each of us is very important to Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us that there's a problem within us. We're dead in sins and trespasses. But the Bible also tells us that he can fix it. God said, you will surely die, and they died spiritually. 
So the Bible is clear that there's an inward problem, but also the Bible is clear that God is the solution. For without God, we are all doomed for all eternity, without the work inwardly within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 says, Now I say, to this, I say this, Paul said, Brethren, speaking to the church, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. You see, the corruption speaks of our, in, our inward depravity, and the, 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 the problem is, is sin is inward. It's just manifested outward. And what we do, it starts in the heart. It's just manifested by what we do. It produces. And what we do and we sin, we cannot undo. We cannot undo what we do. You see, we're, we're tarnished. And by religious activity alone, the Bible says, by religious activity alone, we will never be good enough to inherit the kingdom of God, the incorruptible kingdom of God. That's bad news. But that's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the word perfect, God's perfect word, proclaims that we have an internal problem. That's bad news. Bad news, for we all fall short. But also the word proclaims the good news. The good news is that God gave us the solution in the perfect one of Jesus Christ. That we are to be converted inwardly by the power, by the, power the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in you. We need a work of the Spirit in us. By being religious or going to church, we're not going to be saved on the day of judgment. It does us no good. If we're not born again, Jesus made it very clear. The Bible tells us that salvation is available to all. It's a free gift. But Christ paid for the price, the brutal price for it, for your salvation. But he also determines the terms of your salvation. And it's simple. The terms of your salvation is simple. It's not works. It's not how many times are good deeds and what you do. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, repent and believe in the gospel. You see, he paid a bloody price for our sins. A lot of times people say, well, my sin didn't, doesn't affect people. My sin ain't hurting anybody. Look at it, read Isaiah 53 and see how much it hurt Christ. He paid the price for your sin. He said, repent and believe the gospel. So the converting of the soul is to restore and to refresh or to repair that which the, with the fall which the fall has corrupted. You see, mankind died that day. 
And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. There has to be a conversion of the soul, meaning to return back to its original state. And that's only through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. He can only repair what was damaged at the fall. It's a free gift that cannot be done by self-effort. Salvation cannot be done by self-effort. It simply comes as we surrender ourselves to God and recognize we're sinners and we're going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And that's bad news if I'm going to stand on my good works alone, if I think I'm a good person. The Bible says we need to repent. We need to recognize there's an inward problem and put our faith and trust in what he did. And he will do a supernatural work in us, causing us to be born again and converting our souls. Verse 7b here talks about the byproduct of the believer as he prays, as we pray and apply God's word to our life. Look at the benefits. It states, the testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's sure. God's word is sure, it's reliable, and it's promised results. But you see, Christian, believer, we don't get the favorable results if we don't seek God's work out, word out daily. I'm not gaining his wisdom. It says the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. It's sure, it's reliable. But I have my part as a believer to listen to the word, but also to apply it to my life. And I have to seek God's wisdom daily. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of God... Our Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You see, riches are never found on the surface. It takes digging. I need to put effort. I need to spend time there. I need to give my time and my attention to the Word of God as something valuable. Let it dwell in you richly, Christian. You see, in doing so, as you give yourself to the Word of God, you will gain wisdom. This not only benefits your life, but your family. And God will use what He teaches you to encourage and build up others around you. And the Bible says this also leads to your sweet worship with the Lord. Very beautiful. You see, God wants to do a work of his spirit in your heart through the word of God. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 2, he's begging the church, he's begging the Christians, he's begging them. And he says, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, meaning set apart, which to God, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good 
an acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God wants to convert you. And that happens in the new birth. But God also wants to transform you. He wants to give you his wisdom, his knowledge. Here's the thing. God's omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. God's omniscient. He knows all things. And God's omnipresent. That should give the Christian confidence. Confidence. But I got to know him. And you know what? He wants to give you wisdom to live. He wants to give you direction. He wants to give you guidance. But if we're not in his word, we're going to lack that. There's going to be a lack of transformation in my life. Verse 8 here says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the statutes are right. God's word is right. It's morally correct. It's the standard of truth, of morality for the world. It's morally perfect. Its measures and its standards are true like a ruler. A ruler don't lie. A tape measure doesn't lie. But we live in a world where God's standard is seen as old-fashioned or outdated. That's old-fashioned. That's outdated. You see, when we live by his terms, by his standards. It says the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When you live according to God's standards, there's going to be fulfillment, and it says rejoicing of heart. You'll be satisfied. But we live in a world where the standard of God's standard, of God's word seems to be old-fashioned or outdated, and many Christians don't even read the Bible anymore. But you see, there's nothing new under the sun. We have history that proclaims the book of Judges gives us a history of God's people when they ignore God's standard and are people who ignore God's standard of right and wrong. The Bible describes it like Deuteronomy 32.5. The people corrupted themselves. They're a perverse and crooked generation, God says. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 says, You shall not do as the world does. And he's speaking here in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. He says, You shall not do as they do today here. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Man, it sounds very much like today. Sounds like today. Doing whatever I want to do. Mind your own business. I'm doing whatever I feels good to me. I'm living by my own standard. Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see the downfall of a people. Over and over again. If you read Nehemiah chapter 9, you see the history of Israel, God's people. Whenever they left the word of God, they Civilization, man, is just ruined. But when people get right with God. But it says when there was no king in Israel, everyone did was right. And you know what? If God's the king of your heart, 
you will do what's right. But these days, there is no, God's word isn't important anymore. He's not the king no more. And everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. He's still king, but he's just shoved aside. And as believers, we need to be careful that we're not caught up in the current of the moral decline of our climate. It's not climate change, it's heart change. That's our biggest problem. Because the Bible tells us one day the climate is going to burn away in fervent heat. And doing what is ever is right in our own eyes is not good. Christian, we need to be careful that we're not caught up in the moral, uh, the current moral climate that we're seeing, that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And even approving of those things or affirming those things that are done immorally. Because if we leave, left, leave a standard of God's right and wrong, we're in trouble on the day of judgment. We're on the day trouble on the day of judgment. We look back to Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. The Bible tells us by faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he looked ahead to great reward. By faith, Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept on going, the Bible says, because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. You see, Moses refused to be a part of the household of flesh. He chose to be associated and he lived according to God's standard. And it wasn't easy. And it isn't easy, Christian. It says here in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11 that he chose to share in the oppression of God's people. And as if you live in the standard, if you're walking according to the standard of God's word, it says he chose to share in the oppression of God's people, meaning they suffered for what they believed. They were belittled. They were ill-treated because of their beliefs, because they were holding to God's standard. He was holding to God's standard, not the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, the Bible warns us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment or the righteous standard of God, that those who practice such things that are contrary are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also those who approve of those who practice them. Am I approving of those things that are sinful that the world is partaking in? You see, doing sinful things according to what seems right, but is contrary to God's word, they're only enjoying it and it's fleeting. It's, it's only a pleasure for a moment. It's fleeting. And eventually, it'll, you'll just keep remaining empty 
internally. There's no inward satisfaction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. The Lord's going to judge. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12, speaking wisdom to us, he says, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. I need to pray for my heart. I need to pray that I'm living and that we, church, are living according to God's word, not the moral climate that we see today. But here in verse 8 through 9, it says, The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So here the word pure, pure illuminating the eyes so that we can see and discern and have clarity in this dark world. God wants to give us vision. You see, the world is getting darker. The, moral, the lines of, of morality are being blurred. And God wants us to live according to his word. So he, his word is pure. It illuminates our eyes so that we can discern from good and evil. We choose good, reject the evil. But here it's speaking of having a reverence, the fear of the Lord. It isn't a cowardly fear. It's a reverence for God, seeking Him, uh, seeking God, and it brings an inward work of the Spirit, having a reverence for God and His Word. If I have a reverence for God and His Word, and I'm in His Word, it's going to do a work in me internally. Like spiritual hygiene. Hygiene is very important. We talk about washing our hands, the outward us. We wash our, our hands all the time. But how about the inward us? Are we washing the inward us? Because, again, the inward is important. What happens inwardly within each believer is very important. And we can only be cleaned by the work of God's Spirit and the washing of God's Word in our hearts by being in the Word of God every day. We take a bath every day, but how's our spiritual hygiene inwardly? The, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, as He's praying to the Father in Gethsemane, and He's praying for the believers, and He says, Sanctify them by Your Word. Your Word is truth. And that word sanctification means cleansing. There's a cleansing of, of, of my inward me as I'm in the Word of God. There's that spiritual hygiene that takes place. We also see this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. Speaks of a purification, a cleansing of the washing of the water of the Word. Am I in the Word daily? I take a bath daily, but I'm, am I in the Word daily uh, being cleansed from within? You see, the Word of God will do that work inwardly in you, but we have to be in the Word, believer, inwardly. The Word endures forever. It doesn't change. The judgments of the Lord or His Word are true and righteous. They're true and they're righteous. You see, God doesn't have a hidden agenda. He's not a politician. He's not in the media saying one thing and doing another. God 
says what he's going to do. He has no agenda but your greatest good. It's like a parent. He wants, the, the parent always wants the best for their child. God wants the best for you. God's judgments are his word are true and righteous altogether. He has no hidden agenda. He wants to bless you. And it starts inwardly. Then it manifests itself outwardly. That should be our prayer. Lord, do a work of your spirit in me. Convert me, transform me. But our prayer as believers, look at verse 10, here as the psalmist transitions, but he's still focusing on God's word. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You see, God's word should be desired more than gold. And he says, More than fine gold. You see, in heaven, outward things, you know, we look at gold as something very valuable here on earth, but we're going to be walking on it in heaven. It's no value. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on the outward, but God does, wants to focus on the inward you. That desire, I, I got to ask myself, do I have a desire for God's word? Do I desire it? I need to pray, Lord, give me a desire for your word. That's like treasure. May I treasure it. May I value your word. God knows where you're at this morning. But we could pray, Lord, change my heart. Give me a, this desire from your word so that I may gain your wisdom, that your word would be very part of me. May I desire it like gold and more fine gold. May it be sweeter to me than honey and in the honeycomb. May I have a, a desire to be in your word, Lord. May it be sweet to me. This is my prayer. This should be our prayer. God gives us the reason in verse 11. He says, moreover, by them, by the word of God in your life, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. See, God says, I'm going to spare you from danger. You just got to listen to my word. Be in my word. Why? I'm going to warn you. I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to give you wisdom. And then he says, and in keeping them, there's great reward. But if I'm not listening to the word, am I being warned? Am I, if I'm not knowing God's word or spending time in God's word, how do I know the rewards? I'm missing out. You see, what happens inwardly to the believer is very important. I want to encourage you to be in the word. What happens inwardly is important. Not just hearing the word is important or going to church, but your daily devotional life with Christ is very important. Your spiritual hygiene and what takes place inwardly is very important. God's saying, moreover, by them, I'm going to warn you, and, and, and you know what? Keeping them, there's great reward. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, in closing, Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine 
and does them. I will liken him into a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Jesus said, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Where am I this morning with the Lord? Am I listening? Am I converted? Do I have a relationship with God? Is God ministering to me and he showed me by the work of his Holy Spirit that I'm not right? This morning, am I living contrary to what his word says? You see, God has given us a conscience to know right from wrong. And when we do something wrong, we, we feel guilty inwardly. That's that compass telling me that one day I'm going to stand before God on the day of judgment for my wrongs. We're all going to die and stand before God. But unless we're converted and born again, we will not see the kingdom of God. You see, the word of God warns us, but it also wants to bless us. All I have to do is recognize I'm a sinner and need a Savior. I need you, Lord. I need you to save me. I need that inner work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're, right, you're at home or you're here this morning, you simply, simply say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I admit to you I'm a sinner. I need you to save me, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit, and God will do an inward work in you. You just have to recognize that need and ask him to come into your heart. He will make you brand new and do a supernatural work in your life. But also to the Christian, maybe you're not where you're supposed to be this morning. God knows where you're at. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your those weights and sin that easily just weigh you down. Maybe you're not in the Word this morning. Maybe you're living a life that's grieving the Holy Spirit and you're not reaping the benefits of, of a life spent with Christ. You too simply need to say, Lord, here I am. Forgive me. Maybe I lack a desire for the word of God. I, I need to pray, Lord, give me a desire for your word. Do an inward work in my life. And, and you know what? He will do it. He will transform you. And I'm not changing. Lord, there's, there's, not, there's no work of your spirit in me. Pray, Lord, change me. Transform me, Lord. Maybe I'm doing things that I shouldn't do. Lord, help me to repent. Put those things aside and, and have your way in my life. You see, God's a personal God. And he wants to minister to each one individually. But you see, Christian, there's no shortcuts to learning God's truth. I got this message this morning that really blessed me. It's a quote from Warren Wiersbe. It says, Christian, there is no shortcuts 
in learning God's truth. We need to be in the Word. There are no shortcuts to building godly character. We study God's Word that we might know God better, that we might know the God of the Word. And as we get to know Him better, Christian, we become more like Him. You see, reputation can be lost overnight, but it takes years to build character. And you see, God wants to do a work in you and transform you, and we just need to be in His Word. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. You, you're consistent in your promises, Lord. Father, you give validity to the things that you say. But the things you've done. And Father, we know that you are not done with us, Lord. Father, have your way in our hearts. Father, to the unconverted, Lord, those who are here and at home, or outside who do not know you intimately and personally. We pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart. We pray that wherever you are, as the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart, you know who you are. Because I was once there, and I, I remember feeling anxious. I remember not responding the first time. But I remember thinking to myself that if I were to die, I'd spend eternity in hell. And that's bad news, but I, I heard the good news. And I said, I have, I have nothing to lose. I recognized I was a sinner. I needed a Savior in, in Jesus did a work in my heart. We pray as right now as, as you're at home or you're here that right there where you are you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you in heaven. Forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you pray that, he will come into your heart. He would convert your soul. You will be become born again, and you will have an incorruptible inheritance, a free gift, because Jesus paid for your sins. He loves you that much. God loves you that much. And he will give you a new life, and he will give you new thirst and hunger. And we pray that you would follow him all the days of your life. Get in the word. And to the believer, we pray, Father, we pray, Lord, that you convict our hearts. As Hebrews says, from any sin and weights that, that hold us down. As Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Father, as, as believers, may we take heed to the things we hear, at least we drift away. Lord, may we, if we're drifting away this morning in our relationship with you, or, or things outwardly have been more of a priority in my life than you and your word. 
Father, we pray, Lord, for forgiveness. Father, we pray, Lord, for heart change this morning. That the Christian would examine where he is this morning. The believer would examine his self in light of the scripture. And that the, the believer would call out to you, Lord. That we would put those outward things in their proper place that we would focus on the inward work of your spirit in our hearts and the word in our lives. Father, we pray, Lord, for a hunger and a thirst for your word, Lord. May we desire it more than gold, more than fine gold. May it be sweet, Lord. May your word be sweet to the believer, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Father, we pray, Lord, that your word would warn us Give us insight. Give us wisdom. May we, as believers, keep your word as the apple of our eye. May we bind them upon our hands. May they become part of us, Lord. May they not just be words on the page that we hear, but the things that we do. As Jesus said, you will liken us to wise men. Well, Lord, we want to be like the wise you speak about here in Matthew. Father, may your word be engraved upon our hearts, Lord, that we might not sin against you. So, Father, do an inward work, Lord. May we value your word as precious. Bless your people, Lord. May we be hearers. May we be doing until you come. This is what we pray, Father. In Jesus' name we all say, amen.